Good evening, church. Wow, that was enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, but three days are down, only two to go. Uh, still, there we go, four people. I love it. All right. Well, the good news is, it's like you're known by God, and God empowers us to know him. Aren't you happy about that? I mean, this is not something that we have to wonder about. Read about a God just, you know, from, from the page, hear about him by reputation. But God empowers us to be intimate with him. And this is one of the greatest, if not this, this, the great privilege that we have in this lifetime that we can know our God that way. Last week, I started talking about the fatherhood of God, of God revealing himself to us really first and foremost as a father. And this gift of sonship is a grace made known to us through Jesus. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the gatekeeper to that grace. In John, the first chapter, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And sons, whether biological or spiritual, require fathers. Somewhere there's a father involved. And by extension, the fatherhood of God is continually, we learned this last week, under assault. The whole understanding of the maleness of God. That understanding that if we don't understand the maleness of God, it does in no way take anything away from being female. Ladies, are we all good with that? Are we okay with that? It's Then this idea of father is first expressed within the Trinity, and it's not an invention of man, but it's Jesus himself who referred to God as father father. Jesus reveals a unique relationship between father and son. And again, the lie exposed that by embracing God as father, essentially masculine yet embracing female attributes, that somehow women are less significant. And of course, men have been less than stellar in their examples of what that maleness should look like. Once again, men, we have much that we have to apologize for. We have much that we need to, if you wish, try to atone for. Not just in how we represent ourselves, but as men, I believe that we have a response and a responsibility to reflect God well in that maleness. Nod your head, men. And we all, of course, have flawed example of what those human daddies look like. Because humans have an amazing way of taking something that's pure, making it much less so. Human dads are no different. Starts out perfect, Matthew 5, 48, your heavenly father is perfect. There it is, a perfect dad. And yet, in contrast to very, very imperfect fathers. And last, year, last, last week we began to look at five areas that really define dads, and I want to pick up on that tonight. And I mentioned this one last week, but by way of review, the very first one is safety. 
And safety, I believe, is really the first priority for health. My father-in-law, he's passed away, but he was a veterinarian. And we were talking one time about sheep. He actually bought 60 head of sheep, a flock of sheep, so that he could watch how they reacted and responded. It's a fascinating study. I'll never forget him telling me how stupid sheep were. <laughs> and about how it was less than a compliment that this is what we were referred to as in Scripture. About how absolutely helpless they are. How under attack that rather than just doing some basic things, all you got to do is huddle together because what's ever coming after them can just get a mouthful of fuzz, but they will just let themselves get picked off and slaughtered. But in that, I began to ask him, I said, well, what happens when a flock of sheep get under stress like that? He said, the first thing that happens is that they stop reproducing. It's very interesting, isn't it? You realize if the devil can just get us harassed enough, stay with me, we will stop bearing fruit and stop reproducing. It's one of the very first things that happen because what happens is that we go into a defensive posture. We go into a mode of protecting ourselves. And the very last thing at that point that we're really considering is reproduction. It's interesting. And yet, when we think about everything that we want, if we really reduced it down, it's, it really has nothing to do with metrics. It has nothing to do with personal financial statements or the size of the car or how many square feet in the house. When it really gets down to it, what we're looking for is safety. Can we all agree with that? Another way of saying that is we want peace. That's what we're looking for. And those two words really work hand in glove together. And last week we learned it's moms that for the most part they make their cookies and they heal the boo-boos, but it's dads that grab the baseball bats in the middle of the night. They come out in their bad shorts with the baseball bat and this is like, I'll, I'll whack it. That's what, that's what dads do. That's what we, that's what, come on, come on, Pastor Sean. That's what the bus, that's what we want the men to do is to get some type of implement, some type of weapon to do some whacking with. That's what children want from their dads. But what we're unsure about the presence of our father, we're unsure about our safety and our peace. Once again, it's hearing, it's hearing dad's voice, hearing mom's voice down the hallway. Because if, if the monster's under the bed and in the closet can just hear the parent's voice, they have to go away. It's a couple of things that would always scare the monsters off, remember? Turning the light on and having mom and dad come in. And the monster's always disappeared. It's incredible. And we can say, oh, that's so cute. Let me just tell you. I'll be 60 years old here in a moment, and I still have monsters under the bed. Now, they may not have been the same way they were when I was six, but there are all kinds of different things that I still need to hear daddy's voice sometime in the middle of the night and remind that stuff that still tries to visit me on occasion, and I can say, you need to go away, please. All I got to do is just say, daddy, speak to that. And then whatever that is, when they hear daddy's voice, then it has to get up and go from where it is and go somewhere else. That's what daddies do. 
they protect. And yet, tragically, that's not the experience that many people have from fathers. The numbers of children that have been abused, primarily at the hands of the dads, the numbers are so, they're so astronomical, I can't even keep them in my head anymore. And if we had, if we had a lot of time, I'm sure that in this room tonight, there are literally dozens upon dozens of stories where the understanding of a daddy that protects rather than a daddy that inflicts pain, that's become your experience and your narrative rather than the heavenly father who only comes to protect. Because we have a perfect daddy that is not even capable of harm. We have to change. Holy Spirit has to change some things, heal some things in our heart so that we can begin to relate to a perfect dad. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter, what? Of the Most High. Proverbs 133 says, whoever listens to me will live in safety. Listen to this. Whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. You know, there's something about listening to your parents. (laughs) Don't go out there. Don't touch that. That's hot. That's sharp. That's whatever. Now, my wife and I homeschool long enough to learn some words about learning styles. One of those words was kinesthetic. He's a kinesthetic learner, which means he don't listen to nobody. It's just a euphemism for they ain't taking your word for it. They're going to find out for themselves it's hot. Maybe you've got one or two of those that you tried to raise. Maybe you were the kinesthetic learner and still have the scars on your body from not listening to mom and dad. But it says, who listens to me will live in safety. There it is. But that listening is not just hearing. But biblical hearing, or listening rather, is hearing plus obedience. That's real Bible listening. James, don't just be hearers of the word, but be what? Be doers. That's where safety is found. But then that listening implies another aspect of fatherhood. Who are the people that we tend to listen to the most? The people in authority. Which is the second part of fatherhood is authority. Matthew 8, the story of Jesus and the disciples going across in the boat and this storm comes up. Jesus is asleep in the boat. He's cool. He's already said we're going to the other side. Disciples woke him up. We're going to drown. Who told you you were going to drown? I didn't tell you you were going to drown. Who told you that? And then it says that he said, (laughs) he got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. I mean, it's not that the waves kind of slowed down. All of a sudden, everything stopped. Then they looked around and they said, who is this guy? Really? Seriously? He says, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. You see, when we understand dads carry authority, we won't, 
We want dads to have like spidey powers. You know, with great power comes great responsibility, all of that kind of stuff. But the, dad, the, the, the father that we have has that very type of authority. What kind of man is this? And we need to see someone with authority beyond ourselves. And authority beyond the natural extending to the supernatural. First Peter, the third chapter. Jesus, who has gone into heaven, is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And yet, if we get real honest about it, ladies and gentlemen, we don't like authority much. Ask any child. I mean, we want the benefits of protection and the power that authority brings without being subject to that authority ourselves. In other words, we want the popo when someone is threatening us. But when the popo pulls us over for violating a traffic violation that the commonwealth has set forward, our response is, don't you have something more important that you should be doing? Why don't you go chase some real criminals? We want authority on our terms. Come on. I mean, when somebody is trying the door in our home, we're like 911. I need you to get the police down here now. And yet when they begin to exercise that authority over our life, all of a sudden it's just like, well, wait a minute. I'm not all that bad. It's not about you being good or bad. It's about how you relate to the authority that God has placed around your life. You see, our disobedience removes God's authority. Listen to this. And everything that comes with it and places us in that place of authority. Let me explain to you. Authority doesn't, if with, a vacuum is never created, something gets pulled into that vacuum. So when we tell God, I got it. And we, we, we may not, we may have enough sense as believers not to say that to God, but through our disobedience in that moment, that act, that action, that attitude, we usurp God's authority. Then God says, okay, you got it then. And this is where we get this marvelous thing of life called consequences. It's when we start living in the power of, when we start living under our own authority, God says, great. Guess what? With great authority comes great consequences. Enjoy. 1 Samuel 13, we find, I've been in 1 Samuel a lot lately for some reason. Talks a lot about Saul and the prophet Samuel that had told him to wait. Seven days I'll come and I'll offer the sacrifice and the armies, Saul's armies begin to get a little bit nervous there. And Saul says, bring the offering here. And he offered the burnt offering. It says, verse 10, 1 Samuel 13, as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, there was Samuel. Saul went out to meet and greet him. What have you done? When I saw that the people were scattering, Saul said, and that you had been so long coming. It's amazing. See, it was only in the realm, numbers, 
only in the realm of the priesthood who were authorized to offer sacrifices. And some commentators, they, 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 whatever the sin was, whether it was the fact that in that moment Saul had stepped into the role of priest or whether or not he had simply been disobedient to what Samuel had told him because he'd already said, wait until I get there and I'll give you instructions as to what to do. But Saul was always playing to the crowd. And so in this particular moment, he said, I got this. And this was the beginning of the end for Saul. As God began to take the kingdom away from him. And we find another story over in the 15th chapter. As if that wasn't enough, God had given instructions to Saul regarding the Amalekites. He said, kill them all. All of them. Men, women, children, infants, livestock, all of it, including King Agag. Saul had a better idea, and he didn't do it. And so it says he killed those that were weak, but it says the best of the flocks he kind of held back. And once again, we find Samuel showing up in this particular moment. It says, what's this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What's this lowing of cattle that I hear? And don't you love how Saul mans up? The soldiers brought them. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. And listen to this. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Amazing. Not the Lord our God. But when he gets busted, all of a sudden now, the reality of the relationship really comes to bear the Lord, your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Look at how good I did what you told me to do. And this is where we get this, this famous statement. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. The rebellion is like the son of divination arrogance like the evil of idolatry but because you have rejected the word of the lord he has rejected you as king and in that moment he grabs samuel's garment and he tears it as he tries to hold him back and he says as you've torn my garment the kingdom has been torn away from you as well saul not quite understanding this whole understanding that the real king of israel was not saul it was god God was the king. Saul was just a human representative that God had allowed to be in this place in this moment. But Saul couldn't quite get hold of that. And so wherever you see disobedience, what you see is a usurping of authority. And we undermine God's authority when we most need it by choosing our own authority over his at times when we don't need it quite as much. Let me say it again. We undermine God's authority when we most need it by choosing our authority over his at those times when we don't need it quite as much. And we wonder when we get in a clutch. We cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father, Jesus. And all of a sudden, we're wanting God to swoop in in that moment. And be the big, bad, superhero God when all along in these little decisions, we've been our own authority. 
And we wonder in that moment when we most need it, where is it? Interesting. And how quickly do we acknowledge and respond to that authority? You know, worry is the primary manifestation that we don't really trust God's authority and His sovereignty. Worry is a manifestation. Worry is not the emotional outworking of intercession. We don't intercede to rid ourselves of worry. It's a byproduct, not the product. But the reality is, is that when we fail to really apprehend and comprehend the authority and the sovereignty of God over everything, including the devil. Hello? Oh, I'm really worried about the devil. Why? He's a created being. He does nothing without permission. Nothing. He doesn't. I mean, he might be a little sneaky, sneaky to you, but let me just tell you, he's never gotten one off on God. He never will. And so we were, I'm so worried about this demon and that demon and this thing. I'm so worried about cancer. I'm so worried about the economy. I'm so worried about what's happening in our name. You're just manifesting that you don't really believe God's truly in authority. He's really in control. Trust me, he is. Now, sometimes it doesn't look like it. Why? Because his ways aren't your ways. It's like, I don't like it. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't like this process. I, 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 I don't think I, I might not like that guy up there who you put, I, oh. And our response, immediate or casual, manifests how highly we esteem that authority. You know, real discipleship is not the fact that we eventually get there. It's how quickly we get there. Oh, God, I finally did it. Look at me. Great. Wonderful. Look at me. Yep. Years later, I got, whee, I won an award. Come on, I showed up. I played. But the reality is it's not the fact that we eventually obeyed. The issue is how quickly do we obey? How quickly do we get from point A to point B once we know God has spoken to us? Hmm. Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Where'd that authority come from? It came from the Father. Then he said, he gave us to go and make disciples. Because he realized there was no way that we could do what he called us to do without a true understanding first that he was in charge of the whole thing. This is is the order that we have to get it in. And as a result, with authority comes this other wonderful thing called discipline. The consequences for usurping or stepping outside of that authority. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, we'll read the passage, verse 11. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And if you're not disciplined, 
and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we've all had human dads who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The results of no fathers and no discipline, Scripture says in verse 8 right here, is illegitimacy. You see a man or a woman And there's this horrible spirit of illegitimacy. Scripture says that unless we have embraced this divine discipline, it says we're not true sons. I'm just reading the Bible. There's no respect and fear where there's no real discipline. I don't know about you, but when I went to school, going to the principal's office, was a little, little bit like dead man walking. I'm serious. I mean, it was just like, dung, dung. It, yeah, going to the principal's office. Because those were the days that after the teacher whooped you, you went to the principal's office. They whooped you again. And depending on the size of the community, they called your mama and your daddy. And they may not have done it for the right motivations, but they whooped you again because they got called from the principal's office. So it was good for about three if it ever got escalated. Do you understand what I'm saying? But I mean, most of the time, there was enough of the fear of the whole institution of the principal that that was enough to hold you back. Because there was enough respect and fear for that individual that it's just like, I don't want to go there. A few years ago, I was in traffic court. Now, before you get all excited about that, (laughs) it was for an, an expired inspection sticker. Thank you very much. So I, yeah, 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 right. And so I showed up with my little piece of paper, you know, just show the judge that I had gotten this back stick taken it. But it was amazing to me being in court. Because this was my, really my first experience of being in court and watching the folks in court. If I had more time, I'd go hang out in court more. <laughs> because it is a lesson in human behavior that is astounding. And to watch people and the judge or the bailiff calls their name and they're Huh? Huh? And I'm like, are you insane? That man can send you to jail because you're looking at him wrong. And you can't, and I mean, the bailiff, I mean, and these guys, I'm telling you, he called my name. I, was, <laughs> I didn't know whether to salute. I didn't know whether to <laughs> curtsy. I mean, offer him cookies. <laughs> but.
But I mean, I was good to go. I mean, I had my piece of paper, but I was terrified. This was just a few years ago because I realized the authority that that man had sitting behind that big desk up there. But watching these other folks, and I'm thinking, I don't get it. Amazing. My wife and I were just at a family thing, and I have a didn't realize it, but I have a some cousin-in-law somewhere removed who is a sheriff down in Florida. And so we were talking about this whole phenomena of respect and fear for law enforcement. Now, I know we can't really talk about this in our current culture today. But, he would, but I said, how does, this, how does this work anymore? I mean, I don't know about you, but, man, when I see the blue lights, I'm like, I'm finding respect I never knew I had. <laughs> because there's still that fear of authority. Interesting. Because they have the ability to wield some discipline. And then it says that it's a harvest of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. The connection here between discipline and righteousness that we really can't be trained in righteousness until we have embraced discipline. And how we receive that discipline of correction, it often manifests imperfect discipline that came to us growing up. Remember, there are no perfect parents. Did I discipline my children in anger? Yes, on occasion I did. Did I apologize? Yes, I did. Some people say that, you know, dads, dads don't want justice. They just want quiet. <laughs> Moms, you're on my last nerve now. And so there are moments, come on, that every one of us in this room, some parent snatched a knot in us at some point because we had gotten on their proverbial last nerve. And maybe it wasn't done well. Maybe they didn't use the James Dobson wooden spoon. Maybe they grabbed the first thing they could find. I don't know about you, but it didn't matter. Mom be taking shoes off. But I knew if she pulled her earrings off, it was on at that point. So sometimes you don't have a moment to get out the Bible and talk about discipline and praying in tongues and give them a little hug and pat, pat, you know, let's hug again. I still love you. Jesus loves you. You're in the... Sometimes it's, boy! And we laugh about it now, but every one of us, that's overstated, but most of us probably were raised in a household that discipline wasn't meted out perfectly. And so now when we hear discipline and correction, we just immediately, we equate it with harm rather than something that is a normative part of expressing the fatherhood of God to sons and daughters that he loves. Something to embrace that, Daddy, you love me enough not to leave me to my own devices, my own illegitimacy, that you're willing to train me by disciplining me. Daddies provide. When you pray, Matthew 6, don't keep on babbling like pagans. 
For they think they'll be heard because of a lot of words, but don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Daddies know. You don't have to, you don't have to beg them to put food in the refrigerator. They've made provision. And another interesting manifestation of illegitimacy is a spirit of poverty. It's a fear of lack. And that fear of lack and that fear of poverty, that spirit of poverty, it has nothing to do with how much money is in the bank. There are men and women, and they're, let me just tell you, they're good. I mean, they're good. You, love, you would love to get their bank statement in the mail every month. And yet there's such a fear that grips their life because they don't understand the provision of the fatherhood of God. I really believe when it comes to the whole issue of tithing and offerings, I believe that for the most part, most believers really want to be generous. But there's something that holds them back and says, don't do it. Because your God is not big enough or faithful enough or love you enough that if you give it away, he'll reprovide it. And therein is the lie. Galatians 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Because your sons, he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you an heir. Once again, the process, he makes you a son first. That allows you to handle the benefits of being an heir. See, it's a reason that you have prodigals that go out and, 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 and they blow through the family inheritance is they don't understand the relationship of the daddy is not what it should be. And when we really have this relationship between father and son, when we've got it rightly established, then those things that God has trusted to us as heirs, guess what? We don't squander. Because we're not just considering ourselves or our pleasures. We're also considering the Father who provided it and wanting to stay in the graces and blessings of that Father as well based on how we use those talents and gifts that he's given us. Psalm 37. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the children begging for bread. This is who daddy is. Daddies provide. And then lastly is affirmation and blessing. It was the father's affirmation that framed the ministry of Jesus. Matthew 3, as soon as he was baptized, heaven declared, and who was speaking here? Daddy. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Repeated again at the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, in front of some witnesses there. Framing Jesus' ministry was an affirmation of who he was and the Father's affection for him. But you realize that same paternity extends to you and to me today. Fathers bless and fathers affirm. Isaac blessing Jacob and Esau. And what happens when one gets deprived of the Father's blessing? 
And this understanding of blessing is something that's largely been lost culturally, I believe. Because we've substituted blessing with stuff. But when we don't really receive the Father's blessing or affirmation, I can't tell you as a pastor how many folks that now realize because perhaps they're up in years that dad is no longer around, that they missed that affirmation. Son, you're good. I love you. Bless you. They didn't get it. And there's a hole that's there. Esau says held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. In the days of mourning for my father are near, I'll kill my brother Jacob. See, when we don't get that blessing, it leaves us embittered. And it leads to rejection. And like depression, rejection is both endemic and epidemic in our modern culture. Look around and just look at the real core thing that drives so many people. It's rejection. How do I know that? Because folks are working overtime to be accepted by the world. Say the right things, dress the right way, hang with the right people. We're doing everything we can to be accepted. Why? Because the rejection that stems from the lack of affirmation that either a natural daddy or a spiritual daddy is not getting to us in the moment is causing us to respond and react in bizarre ways. Again, we give our children stuff as a sign of affirmation without the real blessing of fathers to the children. Here, boy, I love you. Now, I realize that giving stuff is, quote, a love language. I got that. I like giving stuff. I got a problem with that, according to my wife. I don't think it's so bad. That's why God made closets. And gave us grandchildren. But the reality is it's still not a substitute for grabbing that child and affirming them. And not just what they do, but who they are. Blessings that get withheld based on behavior. Do you realize that the Father has withheld nothing based on your behavior? Because otherwise you'd never get anything. I just want to be good enough to get blessed. How's that worked out for you? But God doesn't relate to us that way because Jesus has been good enough to get us blessed. Aren't you glad? It's on the basis of his righteousness that we can receive the affirmation and the blessing of the Father. Hallelujah. And the church, sadly, in its sometimes misplaced emphasis of prosperity over paternity as a manifestation of blessing, has unknowingly contributed to this very illegitimacy. What, what did you say, Pastor Jim? It says because we have substituted many times in the church that the affirmation of the Father has to do with your prosperity rather than God's paternity. Therefore, the more stuff I've got, the more affirmed I am. Look at me. God loves me. I'm paying my bills. I got a new car. That, that means I'm good with Daddy. And we've emphasized that over paternity. Jesus, help us. And the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit, 
everything that the Holy Spirit does on our behalf is to minister this to us. Romans 8, and I'm closing with this. Pastor Danell, join me up here. It says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Saints, if that were all the Holy Spirit ever did, that would be sufficient ministry for the third person of his person. To just move into us and tell us all the time, you are my son. I am well pleased with you. You are not illegitimate. You're not only wanted, you're chosen. And all the time, the Spirit of God on the inside of us is telling us, son, daughter, son, daughter, while the world is telling us, you're not wanted, you're illegitimate, you're rejected, the Spirit of Christ on the inside of us is continually affirming the fatherhood of God in our life. And we may not ever speak it in tongues. We may never raise our hands and prophesy it. But it's something that's happening on the inside of us all the time automatically. I don't know about you, but I want to get in touch with that ministry. We know what rejection feels like. We know what illegitimacy feels like. We know what it's like to try to fill that hole with any and everything else. And yet that hole has already been filled with God's very Spirit coming to minister that paternity to you and to me. Pray with me tonight. Daddy, 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 Daddy. Lord, let us embrace every part of your fatherhood. your authority, your discipline, experiencing your provision in your affirmation. And in all of that wrapped up in the fact that with you we're safe. Safe.